So we're thinking today, and I've been thinking a lot, as I said in the email update this week, a lot about resilience and surviving and thriving. And I don't know about you, I find these lockdowns and, and you know, we're only a week in, so really we can't complain too much, but it just highlights our lack of control, the uncertainty in the world. And it has this weird effect that, that people are observing around the world of actually demoralizing and demotivating us you you think it's going to be such a productive time and it's going to be wonderful to be quiet but actually it can be pretty hard Um, and it got me thinking a lot and and it's something I've thought about quite a bit over the years about resilience and how do we how do we actually survive how do we how do we go the distance um, in life and live life well Um, how do we how do we keep going as followers of Jesus? Like, that's not easy, right? So um, uh, this is what we're going to think about. We're going to think about how to survive and thrive. And and as I thought about this this week, I thought, well, you know what I really want to do? I want to, I want to put a very simple proposal to you, and, and that's from the book of Hebrews. And the book of Hebrews basically says it's addressing Followers of Jesus who are not dissimilar to us. They're in an urban environment. They're going through a hard time. And uh, the book of Hebrews says, you know what? The, the, the single most important thing you and I can do to survive and to thrive as followers of Jesus is really quite simple. It's just resolutely fix our eyes on Jesus. Don't take them off. Don't be distracted. Don't be discouraged. Don't get disheartened. Um Fix your eyes on Jesus. And so we're going to think about that. And uh, here's what we're going to look at today. We're going to think a bit about, well, we've talked about how do we go the distance. Uh, and and at one level, you might we're going to think about the amazing nature of Christianity. At one level, it shouldn't be hard because, like, if you think about it, it's a pretty sweet deal. And with the recognition, though, that it is, the journey is long and hard. There's a solution, and we'll think about how Hebrews unpacks that. We'll grapple with the reality that, sure, we, Mark, yeah, it's all great, but but hang on, I keep on stuffing up, so what do I do with that? And uh, and then what we'll do is we will um, uh, have a look at the final thing. How do we say no to the world, the flesh, and the devil? So that's where we're going. And I wanted to start by going, you know, here's the thing, right? Christianity is amazing if you think about it. Um, and, and if it's true, of course, there's always that caveat. We, we have to grapple with that and honestly answer that. But if you think about Christianity and the claims of Christianity and the claims that Jesus makes, uh, think of the benefits of it. Think what it offers. It says we're gonna, we move from alienation to belonging. Another way of putting that is we move from a state of fundamental aloneness in the universe. We come into the world naked and alone. We go out of the world naked and alone. We find that, that in fact, it's extremely hard to make community work, make relationships work. We're disconnected from God. We're disconnected from meaning and purpose. And Christianity says all of that alienation and separation and fragmentation can be resolved and we can belong to God, belong to his family, belong to each other, and we can have the seeds of genuine community planted in our lives and in our souls and that that belonging lasts forever. Nothing can take it away. That's, that's amazing. I mean, in this season of fragmentation and loneliness and anxiety, um, what a benefit. 
Christianity says that that there is a movement from injustice to justice, that that injustice, evil will not prevail. In the end, justice will be done. And um, that's unbelievably good news. Um, we take a functioning justice system for granted in Australia, but um, the fact that, that you know, two billion people in the world uh, or more who are poor do not receive any benefit of a functioning justice system because of their poverty and live with gross injustice uh, perpetrated upon them. It's terrible. And if you think about the world, the, the promise of justice is extraordinary. Um, no one will get away with evil. Oh, that's great news. Uh, there's a movement from sickness to health. Uh, that's good news. All sickness will be dealt with. By his stripes we are healed. That is, in Jesus Christ, God says he's going to eradicate every illness, everything that you know brings us misery and heartache and suffering. And actually, I'd include old age in that. If you, you can, We can conceptualize old age. And the, the diminishing health as a consequence of that is a disease. And you go, well, even old age is cured, is healed, and we move to health. We can move from shame to freedom. I mean, we can be free to be fully alive. Everything that the romantic movement and this internal psychological self longs for and that our world tells us we'll get through building our self-esteem and going to therapy as good and helpful as that is, um, all of that we get uh, freely given to us in Jesus. We get a, a shame removed and complete freedom to be who we're meant to be. We, we move from guilt to innocence. In, in legal metaphor, you know, the problem with injustice to justice is that, you know, we're all guilty as well. We all stuff up. We know one. None of us here love each other the way we should. None of us serve the way we should. We're all selfish and petty and and we can be forgiven. I mean, that's the good news of Christianity. You and I can be pronounced and actually, in fact, become declared by God totally innocent. And then, of course, the greatest blessing, if all this is true, is that death isn't the end, that we can move uh, from death to eternal life. So, so that is incredible, right? Now, just thinking that should be enough to say, wow, we have this unbelievable faith. Everything now, if you become a follower of Jesus, should just be fantastic and easy and wonderful, right? Uh, isn't that right? You'd go, now it's just easy because it's so good. And of course, if it's this good, you and I will never be tempted to give up on it or to doubt it or to uh, throw our faith away. Uh, so... Um, I could ask you to do a show of hands on Zoom, um, uh, but I, I might not. But, but think about this. I mean, the, how many of you, how many times have you pondered giving up on your faith? How many times have you felt disconnected from God? How many times and how often have you wondered if it's all true to the point where you were ready to give up for all kinds of reasons? I mean, I think, and you've been tempted to, and maybe there have been seasons where in your life you have wandered. Maybe you came to faith very early as a teenager and then um, spent your 20s and 30s living without God and doing your own thing. And Because, you know, the journey, having said how wonderful it is, um, look, the journey is still hard, right? Um, the, the, the Christians in, in, uh, that Paul, that the writer of the Hebrews was writing to, um, they faced persecution. 
they faced suffering. They'd expected Jesus to return uh, before before they died and uh, before persecution came upon them and he hadn't and so um, they were struggling and some of them were they were losing their property they were losing their status they were losing their lives and they were tempted to give up now we don't in Australia at the moment we don't face those overt threats but I just thought gosh here's a few things that make the journey hard you may identify with one or all of them Uh, the and I, and I threw down a bunch of isms, and I noticed one there has a double I. So pluralism, um, it makes it hard to be a, an authentic follower of Jesus when we are told that, you know, there's no such thing as ultimate truth. Everything is true enough uh, or false enough, and it doesn't matter what you, or what, what everyone believes as long as they believe it authentically. And it is arrogant and uh, judgmental and fundamentalist to claim that any particular religion is unique or any particular worldview is better than any other one. That, that philosophical worldview of pluralism deeply undermines our faith um, and actually makes it, if you start to get drawn into that, it, it makes it impossible to wholeheartedly commit to Jesus because you, in your heart of hearts you just go, well, yep, Jesus, but equally um, Muhammad, equally the Buddha, um, equally just a harbour view, which leads to the second thing that is a big challenge for us, which is just hedonism, the, the pursuit of a life of personal peace and affluence, um, just living uh, ruled by the desires of the flesh. That's a challenge. And if we respond to those first two with outrage, we, we can then be challenged by moralism. And moralism uh, is an is a secular form of religion, and moralism says, well, I can make life work by being good. And um, there's a very great temptation, if you're a follower of Jesus, and it's a very great danger to become a moralist, to become somebody who thinks, ah, you know, like the essence of spiritual growth and health is to become uh, morally good, but, but then over time what happens is, your transformation and your moral life starts to become the basis for your faith. Instead of Jesus, instead of grace, instead of forgiveness, what starts to become the source of your identity and belonging in life is your morality. And you become proud and judgmental, and that's a very dangerous place to be. Suffering makes life hard. I mean, gosh, how many people have I spoken to, and probably you have as well over the years, who have given as their reason for abandoning faith in a deity and abandoning faith in in the Christian God and abandoning faith in Jesus, their experience of suffering. And not just suffering out there, but when when it touches them deeply and a, a person who they judge typically to be innocent and unworthy of suffering experiences great, awful suffering. And that's a massive issue, and, and we don't have time to talk about it, but it's, it's one of the great issues that, that can pose an enormous challenge to our faith. Just distraction. Um, of course, lockdown removes so many distractions, so at one level it's not bad for us, but in the day-to-day course of life we are massively distracted, and our world is designed, is designed to keep us distracted, and that leads us, one of the key ways we're distracted is by consumption. We buy stuff. I mean, how many people have, <laughs> show of hands, how many people have been online shopping in this past week just as a way to get a little bit of a dopamine rush and relieve a little bit of, yeah, just a, a 
feel a little bit in control and, you know, I mean, it's so easy now, isn't it? I, uh, I haven't done any online shopping this week, but I walk to Woolies down the road about four or five times a day just to get out. I'm, you know, I'm like, I've, I've got to go buy Pepsi now. I've got to go buy cheese. I've, you know, and you've got to buy it like one thing at a time so you can, you know, consumerism. And then I'm not sure, I haven't, I don't know if anyone else is, if this is just a word I've made up, but one of the great challenges to our faith is um, identitarianism. Um, I think this is quite a cool word, and uh, I'm thinking of uh, unpacking that a whole lot more in the, in the age, in, in the, the weeks ahead. But identitarianism says, you know what, and this is a challenge to our faith because identitarianism says, uh, what makes my life valuable and meaningful and authentic is my identity as a woman as a trans person, as an indigenous person, as a white person, and um, and everything becomes seen in terms of identity, identity politics, and we start to then conceptualize life as about a fundamental conflict between people who hold different identities. That's one profoundly unhelpful wave that this identitarianism works out the other way identitarianism works out is my morality my choices about how i live flow from my identity and i get in touch with my identity by looking inwards it's a a psychological experience uh, of looking inwards and if you disagree with my morality if you disagree with how i choose to live you are you, you are actually devaluing and hating and oppressing me because, because you're actually disagreeing with something that is fundamental to my identity. And so identitarian. So, so I mean, what, what the, the problem with that, of course, in terms of our spiritual journeys, is, is it takes our eyes off Jesus as the ultimate source of meaning and purpose and life and authority and guidance and a, a vision of the good life and we are turned inward to ourselves and we in our own internal world and the way that our internal world gives expression to our various identities becomes what's ultimate and defining for us. And that is a particularly dangerous phenomena that's happening now and makes it extremely hard to get along with each other. So the journey is long and hard. You might not have needed all of that, but there we go. I was thinking a lot about it. In case you thought it was just hard because of the uh, of COVID, there's, there's some deep um, existential and philosophical things that make it hard. So what is the solution? Well, Hebrews, it's really simple. And I, it's just to fix your eyes on Jesus. Fix your eyes upon Jesus. And from the start to the finish of this magnificent book of Hebrews, which we we won't spend too much time in, but I really wanted to give you an overview of the whole book and say go and go and read it if you if you're struggling, if you want to build resilience, if you want to go the distance. The book of Hebrews is is incredibly helpful, um, and it can be summarized here. Uh, the whole book can be summarized in Hebrews ten thirty two. Um, look at what it says. Remember those earlier days after you had received the light. So they remember when you just become a Christian, he says, when you endured in a great conflict full of suffering. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. At other times you stood side by side with those who were so treated. 
you suffered along with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. So do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. This is what it says. Like, look at this. Look at, look at where you've come from. Look at what you've endured. And you did all of this because you knew that you had better and lasting possessions. That, that nothing that could be taken from you was ultimately of any significance. So don't, don't throw away your confidence, the writer says. Don't give up on Jesus. No matter what life throws at you, no matter how difficult it becomes, remember what you've endured. Remember what you experienced. Remember Jesus and don't give up on Jesus, um, which is exactly the point of... Uh, of the first chapter and the whole of the book. And right from the start, it says, well, why, what is this better and lasting possession we're going to get? Well, <laughs> Hebrews puts it this way, and, uh, and the, way to, the way to work on our souls so that we last, and the, the strategy of the book of Hebrews is to say in great detail that, that you've got to look at Jesus and see how wonderful and great he is compared to everything else. And the only way that we will last, the only way we'll go the distance, the only way we'll grow, keep growing spiritually, is if we keep in front of us front and center and remind each other a vision of just how wonderful and how great Jesus is. So this is what Jesus is in, in this passage that Janet read for us, right? Jesus is God's final self-expression. Look at this. Uh, in, these past, in the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. So yeah, listen guys, God's spoken through the prophets. The, the Hebrew scriptures are wonderful and extraordinary and brilliant. But in these last days, guess what? He's spoken to us by his son. So greater than any previous revelation, we've now got the son, we've got Jesus. And he's appointed this Jesus as heir of all things. So he owns and, and, and controls all of the world. And that uh, this son is the one through whom he also made the universe. And this son, Jesus, is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. Now, th that is like, those are just the most incredible verses, aren't they? Jesus is God's final self-expression. He is the, if you want to know uh, in great clarity who, what God looks like, um, don't look inside. Don't look to other religions. Don't look even to the Hebrew scriptures. The final greatest picture of the God who is there is the God who has showed up in space and time in his son, Jesus and God is the creator and the sustainer. This Jesus creates and sustains everything. So everything we enjoy in this world comes from Jesus. He's the one who made it all. So trust him with it all. And uh, this is the son who, when everything is said and done, gives us access to the father. He is the one who provides purification for sin and brings us home to the heavenly father. And then uh, he goes on and uh, through the rest of the book unpacks how Jesus, because, because of this status of Jesus, he's better than everything that, the, that, that 
the early Christians might have considered competing sources of authority or power. So he's better than the angels. Okay, Jesus is he's greater than the angels now. Um, going back to what we've talked about over the earlier this year, the worldview in which this was written was that um, the, 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 the early readers would have believed and seen the world, that the world was ruled by the God above all gods who ruled a divine, a divine council of other gods, little g gods. Uh, and some of these little g gods were called angels. They were the ones who interfaced with human beings as messengers. The generic term for these spiritual beings was Elohim. There are other little gods. There's the one God above all gods, Yahweh, the great God. And some of these spiritual beings, these Elohimis, come, come into the world as angels. And, and that's pretty cool that God shows up and these divine beings show up in the world and share the governance of the world with Yahweh, the great God above all gods. And what the writer to Hebrews is doing is he's saying Jesus is, he's not just one divine being amongst other divine beings. He's not just one Elohim. He's not just another messenger. He's actually better than, greater than uh, all the other Elohim. He, he elevates him within the divine council to be the same, the very same status as Yahweh, the God above all gods. Now, some people, uh, this is helpful to understand because some people go, oh, the Bible, and if the Bible doesn't really talk about Jesus as God um, or Jesus as divine, um, he's just a good man or he's just a, a messenger from God. That would be Islam. He's just a good man would be a common critique of, um, you know, kind of 20th century humanists or secular people. The Bible doesn't know that at all. In the Bible's worldview, Jesus is better than, Jesus is placed in the divine council in this worldview as, uh, as, as greater than any other spiritual being that is on a par with and equal to Yahweh, the God who is above all gods. Jesus, so, so you, okay, that, and that's, by the way, that's, there's another whole lot to unpack there. Um, Jesus is greater than Moses. Uh, so you go, okay, he's, Everyone you might have looked at in the previous in your previous life, Jesus is greater than. Uh, he's greater than Moses in chapter three. He's greater than the Levitical priests. He's greater than the sacrifices that were offered in the old sanctuary, and he offers a covenant that is better than the first. So, uh, anything that a person might possibly have based their hope or their faith or their life on up to this point. The writer to Hebrews says Jesus is better than that. Okay. So you go, that's wonderful. Well, what does that mean? Because I'm not tempted to, to base my life on the teachings of angels. I'm not tempted to base my life on Moses or Leviticus or old sacrifices. What does that mean for you and for me today? Well, um, Jesus is better than. What would you put in there if you were to think about the things that you are tr tempted to trust to give you life and meaning and purpose. What are those things? Um, family. Well, in what way is Jesus better than your family? Um, money. I mean, and, and all the things money can buy. Well, in what way is Jesus better than money? Power. 
power that you accumulate through your job or politics or the amount of money you have, well, in what way is Jesus better than your money? Um, identity. Base your life on maybe your gender identity or your membership in a marginalized group. Go well. No, in what way is Jesus better than this identity? See that, and, and we don't have time to unpack that now. But that's the strategy that the Book of Hebrews offers to us to survive: is to continue to do that spiritual work and that that intellectual work and that emotional work of of studying the world, studying Scripture. And saying, I think Jesus is better than that. And, and then what happens is when I judge Jesus to be better than, my heart moves from one to the other. And I start to love Jesus more than I love money, sex, power, status, superannuation, identity, victim status, therapy, my inner self, uh, my morality, whatever it might be. Start to, And my heart moves. And that's the key. My head understands, discerns, does the hard work intellectually. But in the end, according to the book of Hebrews and according to the Bible, what matters is that my whole heart then moves and I love Jesus more than these other things. But that matters. Which is really easy to do, isn't it? I'm just down at the gallery view and seeing you all nodding your heads, going, yep, it's really easy to do. Well, the question is, okay, Mark, but I keep on stuffing up. It's not easy to do. It is hard. That's why this whole book of Hebrews is written, because God knows that we need encouragement, because it's hard. It was hard for the first century followers of Jesus, and it's hard for us. Well, okay, what's the answer? Well, Jesus is again the answer. He provides purification and salvation. He's the one who sets us free, even from our failures. So the answer is when you find, as you will, that you have started to love things other than Jesus more than Jesus, when you've given your heart to other things because you think they'll be better than Jesus for you, what's the answer? Well, you go, no, no. I, even... Even that is forgiven by Jesus. Jesus is so good and so wonderful that he is the one who provides purification for my sins. I, I'm always going to stuff up. I'm always going to mess up. So the answer is repent and believe, is to say sorry. And that's the essence of every relationship. We're in a relationship with a God who will never turn us away when we come back to him and say sorry, which is a wonderful relationship to be in. I mean, that's, that's the best of all possible relationships, right? When you know there's somebody who'll always accept you and take you back. Sorry. And that is exactly who we have. So going forward, what are we to do? We're to say no to the world. We say no to the world, no to the desires of our own flesh. This is an old formulation. We've, we're in this battle against the world, the flesh, and the devil evil spirits, evil little gods. But we say no to these things because we're saying a deeper, more burning yes to Jesus. And this is true in every part of life. You say no when you, when you chose to get married, for example, if you're married or partnered up. 
um, the act of saying you you say no, you know, if, if you're if you're getting married today, you're saying no to three and a half billion other potential spouses because you're saying yes to the one, right? And and what'll keep you married is by keeping on saying no to the other three and a half billion, um, because you're saying yes, you have a deeper desire and a deeper love for the one. Now, of course, there's not three and a half billion. It might just be you know five in your immediate circle, but you say no to them because you're saying yes to the one. Why do we why do we say no? Um, why do we say no to just eating endless amounts of sugar and consuming endless amounts of alcohol because we're saying yes to a vision of health. We're saying yes to caring for our bodies as temples of the Holy Spirit. We can do this all the way through. Why do we say no to workaholism? Why do we say no to endless hours at work? It's because we're saying yes to a healthy life where all the people we care about are, are in, in a healthy web of relationships. And so we say no to workaholism because we're saying yes to our marriage and to our kids. So that works in all of life, and friends, it works for our spiritual lives. We say no to the world, we say no to the flesh, we say no to the devil because we want to say yes to Jesus because he is so unbelievably better for us than anything the world has to offer. Fix your eyes on Jesus and go the distance with him in this pandemic and anything else that life throws at us. Stop and... uh, and we're going to spend just a moment to pray and recenter and refocus our minds and our hearts on Jesus. Perhaps repent um, and uh, and I, I actually, as I, the one thing I did mean to say at the end here, in terms of super practical things that have helped me to say no to the world and say yes to Jesus over the last few weeks, is the little discipline of the the app that I uh, I shared a link to a couple of weeks ago called the Lectio three six five to to bookend my morning and my evening. The first thing I do when I wake up and I make a cup of coffee is I I read and I I go through the Lectio prayers, and then the last thing I do before that I turn the light off is go through at the end of the day the Lectio prayers and Bible readings. It's building in disciplines like that. And help me say no to the world and yes to Jesus. And I'm sure you have many yourself. So I'm going to stop. We're going to pray. And then uh, get to Lord God, I thank you that um, you want us to say yes to you, to your son Jesus this morning afresh. I pray you'll move in our hearts. You'll move in my heart. To help me to say no to anything that's less than Jesus that claims my affections anything that's less than Jesus that I'm tempted to trust for the things that only Jesus ultimately can give for identity, for meaning, for purpose, for life itself. And Lord, for our church family through this season of lockdown, help us to not lose hope, but to realize that that as followers of Jesus, nothing truly Eternally bad can happen to us because in Christ we have everything we need. So take a moment and uh, we'll open it up for quick. We did this last time. It could be awkward. You could just type in a question if you want. We can just take a moment of 
pause, meditate, think in the chat if you want to whack in a question for me or if you want to just stick your hand up and ask out, that'd be fine as well. <laughs> 